0: Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Most of you, if not all of you, probably have a nativity set set up. Maybe it doesn't look quite like this. But it's complete with the baby Jesus and Mary, right? So let's just jump right in and let's, let's talk about Mary and, and let's talk in particular about the virgin birth. The virgin birth is the second most controversial and debated miracle in all of human history. The most debated is the resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrate at Easter, well, and every Sunday for that matter. But the Christmas birth is the second most Debated because not everyone believes in the virgin birth of Jesus. Thomas Jefferson, writing to John Adams in 1823, had this to say, The day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as His Father in the womb of a virgin will be classed with the fable of the generation of Minerva in the brain of Jupiter. Two words stick out there. Virgin fable. Some say Thomas Jefferson was a Christian. I don't think so. He was a deist. A deist is someone who believes in God, but what Thomas Jefferson actually did is that he took a razor and he cut out of his Bible all of the miracles of Jesus basically saying, I'm looking forward to the day when everybody realizes that the virgin birth, one of those miracles, is just a crazy fairy tale that has no grounding in reality. Was Jesus born a virgin, and why does it matter? And the answer that we'll look at is by going to Scripture itself. And what does it say, and what does it not say? First to the Old Testament book of Isaiah written roughly 700 years before Jesus was born. And there in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is one of the most illuminating texts that is emphatically declaring that Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Isaiah chapter 7 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So, he's speaking here of the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, that God would with His coming, give a sign." Uh, A sign is something that points to something, right? So there would be a sign pointing to Jesus to make sure that when He was born, you wouldn't miss it, that we would be assured that this is the one whom we've been waiting for. Well, what's the sign? The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call Him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God has come down to be with us. Here's the prophecy. A virgin will give birth to a son, and he will be God who has come down to be with us. Now, this is hotly debated on two fronts. First, Some who oppose the virgin birth say that this is talking about some, not some future king, but this is a king immediately in that day and that time. That it was intended to be understood as a prophecy of the birth of the king in that day, not some future king, but guess what? Both are right. This prophecy, like many others, actually has a dual fulfillment. And if you look at the context of the entire chapter 7 of Isaiah, you'll see that God is speaking to Ahaz. He is the king of Judah at the time. And, And you will see that what he is saying, that God is saying through Isaiah is, Ahaz, you're going to have a son. But at the same time, God is speaking a second prophecy to the house of David, to the Jews, To you, too, will be born a son. And here's the difference. Ahaz will have a son who will be a king. His name is Hezekiah. But there will also be, down the line, a bigger king to come. Ahaz's son will be over a kingdom But Jesus will come as the king of kings, ruling over all kingdoms. Ahaz will have a son, but his son will not be able to take away sin. His son will not be able to redeem people and reconcile them to God and bring peace on earth. That king is not going to be enough. They need another king. And so there will be another king coming in the future down the corridor of time, that being Jesus Christ, born of the virgin, and He is God with us. So, there is this dual fulfillment happening here. King Ahaz will have a son, but that one is not the one who's going to change the world and fix the sin problem. And so, there has to be another king, Emmanuel. God coming to rule and to reign, to bring the nations together, to overcome sin and reconcile us to God. Two chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9, same writer, same author, over the same time period, 700 years before Jesus is born, writing about the same prophecy of the coming of the same Messiah, he gives us a little bit more light on the promise of the virgin birth. This is what it says. For to us, a child is born, so we're looking for a baby. To us, a son is given, so we're looking for a male baby. And the government will be on his shoulders. Not just one government, not just one nation, but all nations. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. This is not Ahaz's son. No one worshiped Hezekiah as God. He is not the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So he will rule and reign forever over all the earth. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. So he'll be descended from the line of David, and he will be an eternal king, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. This is an eternal king, not a king who lives and dies, but a king who lives and dies and rises and rules forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It will be a miracle. So it's clear that in Isaiah 714, that Jesus' mother Mary would be a virgin and that she would give birth to Emmanuel, God with us. And in Isaiah 9, we are further clarified by saying that this would be the mighty God with an everlasting rule a king forever, the king of kings, the Lord of lords over all nations of the earth. So, you see, the promise included Ahaz in the birth of his son, but more than that, also to the Jewish people that the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, will be coming, born of a virgin. And that leads us to the second point of contention, which is Is Isaiah speaking of a young woman or a virgin? Because the word in Hebrew can be translated as either. It could be a young woman or it could be a virgin, meaning chaste, pure. So let me come at this from a couple of angles because we want to clearly, emphatically believe that this is prophesying that a virgin will give birth to a baby. First, I would say this. If it is not a virgin birth, then why put it in the Bible? I mean, what really is newsworthy about a woman has a baby? I mean, that happens, right? Second, just because the word can also mean young lady doesn't rule out that it can also mean that she is a virgin. Because you see, in that day, most young women were virgins. They were synonymous I mean, we're looking at a day when dad is the head of the family, and if he loved his children, he really protected the the chastity and purity of his daughters. And there was an Old Testament command that if she goes out and commits a certain kind of sexual sin, she could be put to death at his doorstep. So here is dad. Uh, You know, they didn't have GPS, but sort of. Because dad's going to be hovering over and watching, paying attention, noticing every move of his daughter. And a woman like that, raised in a devoutly religious home, and and Mary was. You'll you'll see that for certain in a few moments. Someone like that, raised in a devoutly religious, faith-filled home, and you would ask... Well, is she a young woman or is she a virgin? She better be both. To then shed more light on this, we move to the New Testament and how these passages of Isaiah are fulfilled in both Matthew and Luke. Now, Matthew is a Jewish man writing to the Jewish people, telling them about Jesus and the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises that the Messiah, the the one we've been waiting for, is that time has come. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. This is Matthew 1, beginning at verse 18. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, some translations may say use the word betrothed, equivalent to engagement today. There's a ring on the finger, there's a date on the calendar, we're getting married. So she was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, so before they had any physical relationship, what's that? That's a virgin. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, which is a miracle. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. The the period of betrothal or or the pledge was a year-long process in their day, in their culture. But it did not include the consummation yet of the marriage. But to break off that engagement, to break off that betrothal still would require a legal divorce. All right, see if any of you young man, young men can, can put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're wanting to be married. You're looking forward to being married. You find this young girl. She loves the Lord. You're excited. She's cute. You dig her. <laughs> this, is, this is that person. And she comes to you and she says, we're expecting. And you say... I haven't even kissed you, we're not expecting anything. (laughs) This is the worst case scenario, right? So now Joseph has a few options. He can divorce her. But to do so, he has to declare why, and that would lead him to say, well, she's been sexually active and committed adultery, and what would be the penalty for such? It could lead to her death. He thinks, well, I love her. I don't want her to die, but she's cheated on me. You see the dilemma that he's in. How does he get out of this relationship in a kind and honorable way? But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's a miracle. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's a really weird twist here for Joseph. He's like, my fiancé, whom I've never kissed, is pregnant with a baby from the Holy Spirit. I'm just a simple carpenter. This is a lot to take in. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. What prophet? Isaiah. What chapter? Seven. What verse? Fourteen. And then he quotes it. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The virgin. That's Mary. This was all promised by Isaiah. The eternal God, the eternal God will come down in the person of Jesus Christ through the womb of the Virgin Mary. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus So she was a virgin until after Jesus was born. So let's jump to Luke chapter 1, the other Christmas story. Beginning at verse 26, we read, "'In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary.' These are echoes of Isaiah 7:14. The angel went to her and said, "Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you." Mary was greatly troubled at these words, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this may be. And ladies, do you blame her? You're engaged to be married. You may be late teens and an angel comes to you and says, "You're pregnant." And you'd say, the dress isn't going to fit, and my dad's going to freak out, and my boyfriend's going to dump me. This is not what I was hoping for. I mean, how many of you ladies would, if God were to come to you, you would be like, yes, Lord. I think you'd be more like, there's not an elastic band in my wedding dress. This is not a good thing. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will. (laughs) Went the wrong way. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is all Isaiah 9. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. She's a what? (laughs) A virgin. Pretty clear. She's basically asking, look, virgins don't have babies. I may be young, but I know this much. How can I have a baby? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And what does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled." That's a godly teenage girl. She's saying, Lord, I trust you. My fiance might dump me, my parents might freak out, everybody might think I'm a tramp, my wedding dress may not fit, I may even have stones thrown at me, but Lord, whatever you want." I'm here to serve you. Here's what the Bible is about. Sin has come into human history. But Satan and sin would be conquered by the coming of Jesus, born of a woman. She would be a virgin mother. His name is Emmanuel. He would be the mighty God, the King of kings over all nations of the earth, and this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what Scripture says. Now we have to ask, why does it matter? Why do we hold on to this view of the virgin birth of Jesus? Because I can tell you that there are going to be times that's just going to be really uncomfortable for us. Because when you're talking to someone who comes from a solely naturalistic, scientific worldview who only recognize a closed system of cause and effect and laws, they don't recognize that there is a God who can break in and supersede those laws and do the miraculous and do the supernatural, you're going to feel a little goofy when you tell people what you believe. Well, the the, the virgin had a baby. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess they rode on a unicorn and made cookies with elves and trees, right? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, the virgin had a child, and he grew up to commit no sin. He performed miracles. He walked on water. He fed thousands with a boy's lunch. He was killed. Three days later, he rose. He conquered sin and death, and he is the Lord God Almighty. That's what we believe. And some would say, well, maybe we just get rid of that part so we just don't sound so silly. Besides, what do we lose if we don't believe in the virgin birth? Here's why we hold on to the virgin birth of Jesus. Number one. Scripture says that Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, there's a lot of things that God could have said at that moment. But He said in Scripture, God did. And in saying it, He is saying something that we needed to know. That what Scripture says, God determined we needed to know. So if it's worth and important enough for Him to say it, it's important enough for us to say it. Furthermore, there is a thread that runs through both the Old and New Testament that is summarized in Galatians 4.4 4, when it says, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, when the time was right, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. This is a sign. Isaiah told us that there would be a sign pointing to. To Jesus. I mean, this is like a neon arrow pointing to Jesus to make sure we don't miss it, that He entered human history, that the virgin birth, that the one who we're supposed to pay attention to, this sign, this is the one, this is the mom, this is that child. And Mary gives birth to Jesus. She knows it was a miracle. She raises Jesus and she testifies that he is without sin. I mean, if anyone was to know whether your child was a sinner, who would know best? Mom, and a Jewish mom at that. And when Jesus says things like, can you prove me of any sin? His mom could have been like, oh, I disciplined him all the time. You think you're without sin? Go, go, go to your room. Go home. You're 33 years old. I don't care. Speaking nonsense like that. Mary sees him perform miracles, heal people, feed people, raise the dead. She sees him die. She's there at the foot of the cross. She's there as they lay his body in a tomb. When he rises from death, she is there to see the empty tomb, and eventually she sees Him alive conquering sin and death as He promised. So much of this hinges on Mary's testimony and being a godly woman. The final portrait of her in Scripture is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, where she is there among the other disciples praying to Jesus, singing to Jesus. And after He has ascended back into heaven, you know what she's doing? She's worshiping Him as her Savior, Lord. Someone says, well, what if Mary is not a virgin, what do we lose? Here's what we lose, her testimony and her credibility. The only alternate explanation is that she was a tramp running around on Joseph and came up with this crazy big lie that it was a miracle to dupe this guy into taking care of her and her child that he didn't father. No, Mary was a godly woman. Mary did love the Lord, and Mary did tell the truth. Jesus' birth is miraculous. It's unprecedented, and it's a sign Jesus' mother is not the object of our faith, but she is a tremendous example of faith. A teenage girl preparing for her wedding says, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever you want, I trust you. And if we were to have kept reading in Luke, she sings a song of worship and praise, and she entrusts herself, her child, and her future to God. Mary is not the object of our faith, but she is a glorious example of faith. She trusted God even when it was a very difficult circumstance in which to do so. So the position of our church is the position of Scripture, that Mary is a wonderful woman who is a truth teller, who is a God worshiper, who worships her son Jesus as one of the first Christians. If he had sinned, she would have told us. Had He not been born of a miracle, she would have told us. Had He not been risen from death, she would have told us. She's a credible, godly, devout woman, not sinless. But here's why even that's cool. It shows that God and the Lord Jesus Christ is willing to work through and with sinners like Mary, like you, like me. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And that by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, Mary gives birth to Jesus. And then Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gives new birth to us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Let me share with you how we're going to respond. Because, you see, it's all about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's only about Jesus. You need a Savior, as I do, as we all do. And we give our sins to Jesus in prayer, thanking Him for His life, death, burial, resurrection that conquers sin and death. And then we respond by celebrating and singing. You know, there was singing around the birth of Jesus. And we sing today. To a Jesus who is alive and reigning. And we join our voices with the angels who sing his praise 24-7. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.